Hi, this is Jeff. Welcome to The Rush of It All. This is the third installment in a series about my upcoming Western States Endurance Run adventure. My intent is to give you a look behind the curtain to maybe demystify this ultra thing and show how fairly normal people can do big things. Each of us has our own approach, but I imagine every successful ultra runner uses some version of a process something like this one. I also imagine there might be some lessons from this process that applies to other big endeavors, maybe even one of yours. The train-up. The fallow was largely philosophical. Not so the train-up. This phase is all physiology, all about pushing hard to get strong. In short, it's time to shut up and run. But not without a plan. Begin with the end in mind. I have goals for this race. A finish, a 100-mile PR, a sub-24-hour finish. But those aren't particularly helpful for building a training plan. So let's restate. To go to sub-24, I need to cut 27 minutes from my prior best. I need to be 16 or 17 seconds faster in an average mile. Drop my average pace from 14 minutes and 40 seconds per mile down to 14.24. That's a small change on the margin, less than 2%. It does not demand radical reinvention of my training approach. It calls for marginal improvement, a bit more focus, a bit more work. So I will base this train up on my best prior train ups, and I'll improve and I'll improve upon them by increasing both consistency and volume. In broad terms, this means a 14 or 15 week train up, starting at my 50 mile, 5,000 foot base week, and building steadily to a peak of 70 plus miles per week. Then a two or three week taper with reduced volume before the race. More specifically, volume targets. Volume is not everything, but it's a lot, especially for long ultras. It's easy to measure, it's objective, and it yields the most reliable gains in both fitness and confidence. It also makes for a good game. Look at the old numbers from prior trainups and beat them. Of course, there's a caveat to that. As volume goes up, the potential for injury grows and the potential benefits get smaller. For me, pushing much beyond 70 miles per week or doing individual runs much longer than a marathon takes me to a risk-reward line I learned I don't want to cross. With that in mind, beyond just staying ahead of prior years, I have some specific targets. At least four miles every day with a proper warm-up and stretching routine before every run. At least 50 miles every week with at least 5,000 feet of ascent. At least three weeks with over 70 total miles. At least three weeks with over 10,000 total feet of ascent. At least three weeks with back-to-back -back runs that total 30 miles or more. At least three runs longer than 20 miles and at least three one runs with more than 4,000 feet of ascent. Other considerations. Again, volume isn't everything. Here are some of the other things I want to pay attention to. Intensity. I want almost all of my running to be aerobic, below my metabolic efficiency point, the crossover point where my body is getting more fuel from carbs than fat. I use a heart rate monitor as an electronic conscience to enforce that speed limit and to help me get the most from my training. Specificity. Western States is notorious for the kind of long, runnable descents that are hard on the quadriceps. It's hard to find trails like that in PA. Ours are generally too rocky to go fast enough to get the same effect. But our forest roads are a reasonable match, and that's what I focused on. My standard long run pattern was a steep, rocky climb, 
straight up a fall line trail, and then a pounding descent on forest roads. Over and over. Heat adaptation. Western states is also known for potentially high temperatures, sometimes over 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And I see this as the main wildcard I face there. My plan is to gain some initial adaptation during the train-up by seeking out the heat when we get it. But I'll mainly rely on an intensive heat training program during the taper. Fat adaptation. I've been working on this for several years now, and I'm pretty solid with it, able to perform well on about 100 carb calories, one gel, per hour during a race. But to keep that edge, I did a fairly strict four-week ketogenic reset early in the train-up, and I regularly do fasted long runs. Physical competence. Those non-running things like flexibility, proprioception, and strength contribute directly to running performance, but they are harder to measure and easy to neglect. Good intentions are not enough. I have to actually do the drills. The more consistent I am with this, the fewer injuries I'll have, and the stronger, better runner I will be. Related to this, a Western state's quirk. For whatever reason, they don't allow trekking poles. I've come to rely on poles, not for propulsion, but to keep myself from falling when I become stumbly. So weaning myself from them is a priority. And those smooth western trails are no consolation. Easy trails are where I seem to fall the most. What about speed work? Well, maybe, if I'm meeting or exceeding the other targets and still feel mechanically sound, but cautiously, in small doses, never more than once per week. My goal for speed work is not speed per se, but to improve baseline cruising speed, a pace I naturally settle into and can comfortably maintain for hours. There is no scenario where having a faster finishing kick is anything but performative for me. If I can manage anything more than a steady finish, I should have rationed out that extra energy over the final 30 miles instead. But shaving seconds off that baseline pace could shave minutes off the finish time. So how did it go? It went well. From the standpoint of volume and consistency, I beat my best prior train-ups by more than 130 miles and 21,000 feet of ascent, and I met my volume targets. Here's the chart. Penhody is my current 100-mile PR, and the Bear 100 was another race I felt well-prepared for and was on record pace at until I was derailed by some unfriendly weather. So the numbers look good but it's always good to validate ground truth with a benchmark run. For this, I used a trail-proofing assignment at the World's End 100K, a 22-mile run with 4,400 feet of ascent that I've done on the same day the past two years. The results were good. With similar conditions, I was 30 minutes faster than my prior best with an average heart rate 10 beats per minute lower. It's not definitive, but I'll take it as a good sign. And I'll head into the taper feeling satisfied with the train-up and optimistic about this race. Some highlights from the train-up. Most of my miles were solo, and I like it that way. But every so often, it's nice to have company. It can make a long run feel both shorter and more significant. This time, I got out with Mary on the Mid-State Trail, Kayla on the Standing Stone Trail, and Leon on the Loyal Sock Trail, his first visit to World's End. And for pre-race inspiration and a reminder of what is possible, could there have been anything better than crewing for Renee at Massanutten 100 and being part of her heroic performance there? It sets a tone. 
By the way, I'm officially in. The poetic nature of my experience with this race continues. I knew it would come, my invitation to move from the wait list into the race, but I didn't think it would come so soon. I was waiting for Renee at a Massanutten aid station, one of the few with a cell signal, when I got the email. On my birthday, no less. And it was the kind of epic day when this was only my second best birthday present behind Renee's race finish. That sets a tone, too. That's all for this one. If you've been following along, you'll realize I'm behind, that the train up is over, and I'm now tapering, and that the race is only 12 days away. Apparently, I tend to get caught up in doing the work, and I put off writing about it. Please bear with me. Part 4 will be out soon, with some commentary about the taper. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.